God, we place in our own bodies, in our own lives, in our own families, we place on display the person and work of Jesus Christ. And although we are saved by grace apart from works, we are saved by grace unto good works that tell a story to the world. See, who we are as we live through our days tells people what we value. Following Jesus isn't just personal. Sure, the decision to give your life to the Lord is very personal, as is the relationship you continue to cultivate with Him. But as Pastor Daniel will remind you throughout his message today, there's more to it than that. You are called by Jesus to love the people you come in contact with. You are to live in a way that puts Jesus on display every day. You are a testimony of faith, and people are watching. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, as he continues his message, Listen Up. John writes, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. So what it shows is that when God gives us understanding in his word, people either want to add to it, or they want to take away from it. They either want to embellish on it and bring out other things that aren't in there, or they want to pretend like certain things aren't in there. And both sides of it are an error. Why? Because God gave us his word for a reason. Many of you have heard me say, I always say, when the Bible is silent, what should we be? Silent also. Why? Because we don't want to add to God's word. We don't want to ascribe motive or spin things a certain way. And listen, there's an entire Christian industry of people who are adding to God's word. Now, they feel like they're receiving revelation or they just think that you're going to like it. But really what we need is we just need the word because if the spirit of God inspired the word, then he is the ultimate author. And we don't want to add anything to it. And every time the church gets into teachings that aren't in the word, but as an addition to the word, they always end up looking like kooks at the end of it. That's what happens. Like, how many times are we going to go through somebody saying, this is the day that Jesus is coming back, when Jesus says, no man knows the day or the hour. But every time it happens, people get all riled up, and people start buying books, and they sell their house, and they do all this stuff, and then Jesus doesn't come back, because if they would have just listened to Jesus, he'd tell you, look, nobody knows. He'd say, I don't even know when I'm coming back. That's what he says. So why are we date-setting? I don't know. But obedience demands that we don't add to God's word, nor detract from it. So you know what that means for us with our Bibles? We need to be good old-fashioned reading comprehension with the word of God. Like, you know how I've chosen to interpret the Bible? Because if that's really true, I don't need to add to it, I don't need to take from it. It's like with my kids when I'm reading with them, and it says, Johnny went to the store. Who went to the store? Johnny. Johnny. Where did he go? To the store. 
Yeah. It's simple, this is what it says and this is what it means. And I really want to encourage you to be simplistic in your interpretations of the Bible. You don't need to add to it and you don't need to detract from it. You just let it say what it says and we need to learn how to trust and be content with that. But it's challenging, isn't it? Because often we want to add to it things because we don't necessarily like what it says or we want it to say other things or we pull things out of it as if it didn't really say that for a bunch of other reasons. But it comes down, God gave us his word for a reason. And what I've found in being a student of the word for some 15 years now is that every time there's something in the word that I don't quite get or I don't quite like, God wants to do a work in my life through it. And so rather than trying to reason it away or allow my experience to dictate what I should believe, I say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? For a lot of people, they want to play games with the word because their experience and what they're seeing in the word don't line up. And so they want to interpret the word based on their experience rather than allowing their experiences to interpret the word. Does it make sense? Like people get it backwards, where you literally want to say, what does the word say? And that's the lens through which I see my experiences. Not my experience tells me this, so this is what I'm going to see in the word. So we want to make sure we get that right, and we don't want to detract from it, and we don't want to add to it. We're just going to let the word be the word. It says that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. They're God's commands. Now, in verse 3, look at what it says. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God had destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who have held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Now, again, we saw this failure at Baal Peor back in Numbers chapter 25. And all of this is linked up with the fact of Balaam, who was a prophet, who Balaam was brought to curse the children of Israel, but of course, he said, I can only, I can't curse unless God lets me, so he blessed them. But what we found is that Balaam actually taught the king how to make the children of Israel stumble. And what they did was they sent the women down and their whole um, sexual pagan rites, the men were enticed and they sinned in idolatry and sexual immorality with the women of that city. And it becomes a defining point. Because they're on the edge of the promised land. They're experiencing God's grace and they get completely sidetracked by idolatry and sexual immorality. And in a lot of ways, Satan's methods of distracting the people of God doesn't really change all that much. For many of us, the single struggles that we have in our lives are idolatry, which is worshiping something other than the true and living God. Things like a career or money or a family or some sort of an idea where we place that ahead of God and we let all of our decisions be made based on that. And then, of course, sexual immorality. When you think about sexuality at its basis, it's the union of two people, right? And so when you understand God's design for human interactions, you realize that marriage between a man and a woman is actually meant to be not just two people who fall in love and they get married and they make a commitment to each other. It's actually meant to be a picture to the world of Jesus and his church. 
That's God's design. And when a man and a woman come together in the act of lovemaking in the covenant of marriage, it is the physical representation of the union of Jesus and his church. And the ultimate consummation, if you actually study your Bible, is when Jesus returns and takes his church home. Do you remember in John chapter 14? When Jesus says to the people, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, it says, what, there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if it was not so, I would have told you, but I will come back at some point and I will receive you to myself. All that is marriage language. He's saying, in that culture, a son would build a house for his bride on the father's land because the land was given by allotment. And at the time it was prepared, the bridegroom would come and get the bride and bring her back to their new apartment that's not the father's house. And then they would consummate the relationship. That was the fulfillment of the marriage union. And for us, what we realize is that sexual immorality, the reason Satan has so warped our understanding of sexuality is because it wants to warp the union between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage, which is the physical embodiment of the fullness of the union between the people of God and the Lord. And that is why we live in a world, and it's been going on for a while, where there is such an aggressive attempt to warp and distort our understanding of our own sexuality. Because it is so powerfully meaningful in the purposes and plans of God. And you and I, we need to do battle against that. We need to make sure we view everything through the lens of Scripture so that we realize that when we live out a warping of sexuality, we are completely undercutting the living epistle that God created. Powerful, isn't it? But the sin of the children of Israel at Baal Peor was exactly that. It's idolatry and sexual immorality. But notice he says in verse four, but you held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. So there was a judgment that came for some of them, but those who held fast are there hearing these words of Moses. Now in verse five it says, surely I taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land where you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear of all the statutes. Now you see what he says there. Our wisdom and our understanding for us today is exactly the same as the wisdom and understanding of the children of Israel were thousands of years ago. And that is simply to live out the word of God. When you and I live out the word of God, we place in our own bodies, in our own lives, in our own families, we place on display the person and work of Jesus Christ. And although we are saved by grace apart from works, we are saved by grace unto good works that tell a story to the world. See, who we are as we live through our days tells people what we value, what we care about. And each one of us, as I've often said, are the only Bible that a lot of people will ever read. They might never pick up the Gospel of John. They might never pick up the Gospel of Mark or the book of Romans or Thessalonians or they're not gonna pick up and read the book of Malachi or Zephaniah or Obadiah or Ezekiel, but they are gonna watch you and say, is there anything to this Jesus thing? Our lives are the only Bible people will ever read. Then the question becomes, what kind of translation are we? Are we a good translation of the word? 
Or does our life tell a different story? See, I love verse 6. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the people who will hear all these statutes. He's saying, look, you're going into a land where nobody has these statutes. And when you live them out, they're going to say, wow. And look at what you get. You get all these potential things that people in the promised land are going to say when they hear about the children of Israel. Surely, verse 6, this great nation is a wise and an understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is near to us for whatever reason we may call upon him? And what great nation is there that such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you today? He's saying, man, you're going to get in there and people are going to say, what kind of a nation is this that God's so close to them? See, that should be our testimony a life of wisdom, but not worldly wisdom, but heavenly wisdom that people would say, oh, that heavenly wisdom stuff makes no sense, but then you live it out and they say, wow. Like, let me give you an example. Finances is historically an area of great anxiety for people. But when somebody chooses to follow the Lord and observe biblically God's parameters for finances, what you find is that you honor the Lord with your first fruits and then you trust him with the rest. And then what happens is when you honor the Lord with your first fruits and things start getting out of whack, you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. You told me that if I honored you with the first fruits, this is going to be taken care of. What's going on here? And then God says, yeah, I'm going to honor my word. And then we become not anxious anymore. People watch, you're going through a great trial, a deep trial, you don't know how it's going to work. Like, I don't know how it's going to work, but I know that God's going to come through because God's word says that if I honor him, he's going to take care of everything. So I'm trusting him. So now, in a world full of anxiety about finances, you're the one person who doesn't have any anxiety and you're giving your first words to the Lord, which is completely illogical by the world standard, but everyone else is freaked out. And you're like, look, I trust God. Because God told me if I took care of this, he would take care of me. And when somebody watches someone go through a deep trial with a settled confidence in the purposes and plans of God, you don't think that that speaks in a world wrapped with anxiety? See, you can go down the line in every area of our lives and say, if I honor God's word and live this out, what is the outcome? At some point, someone's going to say, man, God is so near I mean, you're going through this thing or you had this great victory and instead of just figuring out how you're gonna build a bigger addition on your house, you're saying, hey, how can I bless these people? When everyone else is hoarding, you're generous and you do all these different things and all of a sudden people start to think, they must really believe in God. And they see the blessings of our lives, not the material blessings, but the overwhelming peace that surpasses all understanding. They say, God is near to those people. So you know what my prayer is for not just Crossroads, but the church, the church with a big C, is that all of us would walk in the spirit and then people would be crawling over themselves to get into church to figure out what is going on in there. Why are they like that? Why do they really love people? Why do they serve? Why is there forgiveness? Why is there peace? Why is there when something goes down, people rally around them? I want to be a part of that. And it was once said that if the people of God lived out the word of God, you'd never have to have an evangelistic crusade because people would be pouring over themselves to get in the doors of a church to find out what was up with those people. That's my prayer. 
for my own life, that my own life would be lived in such communion with God based on his word that it would be undeniable that God is near, that people would see that God is near because he would be in our midst in such a powerful, powerful way. Now, in verse 9, look at what it says. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, lest you depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Verse 10, especially concerning the day that you stood before the Lord your God in Mount Horeb where the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. Then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain and the mountain burned with fire and in the, from the midst of heaven with darkness, cloud and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire and you heard the sound of the words but saw no form. You only heard my voice. So he declared to you his covenant which he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. Now, in verse 9, you see that Moses, inspired by the Spirit, is really driving us into this reality that obedience is absolutely necessary. It's the key. Look what it says. Only take heed to yourself. And diligently keep yourself lest you forget. You notice how he's heaping adverbs on this. Take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself. See, he's not willing to say, listen, just make sure you focus and keep close. He's like, and diligently do it. And in a lot of ways, we have to realize that in regards to obedience, we're all in a fight for our lives. Because if you're not keeping the whole thing, you're not keeping the thing. And that's a challenging thing. And so there is an, a total need for complete commitment and diligence to it. And when you realize that you are in a fight for your life, you start thinking that way. I think it was, it was John Owen, the great Puritan, who said, you're either killing sin or sin is killing you. And the idea here is that it's not like, uh, well, you know, you get your punches and I get my punches in and we're all fine. It's like, no, it's either you're getting pummeled or you're pummeling it. And so the idea of this complete and total dedication and diligence is necessary. And then notice it also says, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. Now, this is important. How often do we forget God's faithfulness in our lives? It's so easy to forget what God has done. And what happens is oftentimes when we start to struggle and be tempted, we begin to forget how amazing God was. And we see the children of Israel that way, right? In the book of Exodus and in Leviticus and in the book of Numbers, where although they were slaves in Egypt, they forgot what God did for them in Egypt. And they began to have a selective memory of remembering what Egypt was like. Remember, they were slaves and they were being persecuted and they had to make these bricks and they weren't even giving them straw and they're like but they're in the wilderness like we had meat to eat in Egypt you had meat to eat but you were slaves they were forgetting what God had done that's why I encourage you in the Bible they call it the idea of the memorial stones the 
Ebenezer stones, the stones of remembrance, where when something would happen, they would stack stones on top of it. Now, now maybe you go to Eugene or Ashland, and it's kind of like a hippie thing where they just stack stones everywhere. But back in the day, when something special happened, they commemorated that with these stones that every time they would see it, they would remember what God did. Like when they cross over the Jordan, they're gonna stack some stones. You can imagine every time someone was by that area of the Jordan River, they'd see those stacked stones. They're like, oh, that's where God parted the Jordan River for us. And so in a lot of ways, those ways of remembrance are important. You might say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. What about today? Well, what about the Lord's table? When you take that bread and that cup, you're meant to remember Jesus, who he is, and what he's done, that the work is finished, that you are invited to be part of God's family. See, we need to learn how to remember the faithfulness of God. Right now, I think some of you, God is speaking to you right now, saying, don't forget how faithful I've been. Don't forget what I've done. You've seen my hand move in extraordinary ways. Trust me. See, God's faithfulness in the past is a great encouragement to trust in his provision in the present and future. I'm gonna say that again. God's faithfulness in the past becomes shoulders that we can stand on to trust God's provision in the present and the future. And God is faithful, but oftentimes we forget how faithful God has been and we begin to doubt and we begin to worry and we begin to scheme. That's what happens. Now, he says, not only do I don't want you to forget, but he's like, but if you forget, you're going to stray. That's what he says. Lest they depart, middle of verse 9, from your heart all the days of your life. See, if you forget, you'll stray. But notice, he doesn't want them, not only does he not want them to stray, he wants them to drill down the truths of God into their future generations. Verse 9, and teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. Now listen, this is important, because we live in a day and age that's so weird, right? Like, if you love Jesus and you have kids, right, you want to raise them to love Jesus, but then you have people saying, well, you can't teach your kids religion because you're brainwashing them. Did you ever hear that? Have you ever heard that? You know, it's funny, what they're saying is, we want to brainwash your kids, you're not allowed to do your own kids, Because all education is a form of brainwashing. When education happens, you are explaining to somebody the way the world works. And every single thing a person learns is an attempt at brainwashing. And so what happens is for people who love Jesus, like, well, I don't really want to give my child a religion because that's not fair. Because someone told you along the way you shouldn't brainwash your kids. And really what they're saying is, I don't want any competition. I want your kids to be the way I want them to be. I don't want you to have a say. And I just think that's lousy parenting. The last thing you want to do as a parent is abandon your children's spiritual life to somebody who didn't create them and raise them. And you and I as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, we all have a responsibility in the discipling of our children. Jesus is There's a point to everything you've experienced in your life. There are plenty of lessons you've learned and incredible growth that's taken place over time. Pastor Daniel encouraged you today to share the wisdom you've gained along your life's path. You can tell your children, helping them learn how to trust the Lord when life doesn't go as planned. And you can share your testimony, 
of how God has transformed you with everyone you meet. Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore His people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Join us next time on Jesus Is Real Radio as Pastor Daniel talks more about why your life needs to be different from those around you. The reason for following God's prescribed way of living isn't for us to be under God's thumb or robotically following a set of rules and regulations. God knows that living in the way He's asking will give us freedom and it will be a testimony of His goodness to the world. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.